Welcome to Best of Show, the Competition Brewing Podcast. This show is dedicated to all things in the world of competitive homebrewing with your hosts, John Black and Andy Scherzinger. We'll provide you with updates on which brewers are taking home medals in the biggest competitions across the country, as well as keeping you up to speed on what competitions are coming up so that you won't miss out on being a part of the next big competition. Click subscribe now so you won't miss out on future episode release dates, and please leave a five-star review for us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Welcome back to the Best of Show podcast. In honor of today's opening of registration for the National Homebrew Competition, we have a very special interview lined up for you today. So the National Homebrew Competition opens today, and we are super excited uh, to have Julia Hers on the, on the call today. Uh, the executive director of the American Homebrewers Association, uh, Julie's a seasoned homebrewer with over two decades of experience in the beer business. She's also a BJCP certified judge, an advanced Cicerone, a beer educator, a co-author of Beer Pairing, the essential guide to uh, the essential guide and the pairing pros and the craftbeer.com's beer and food course and also the former craft beer program director for the Brewers Association. That is a long, awesome resume. Uh, Julia Hurst, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for the chance to chat. Super excited. Well, I'll just jump right in. Uh, since our podcast is really dedicated more to the competition side of brewing, I wanted to ask right off the bat, what are some of the benefits of joining the AHA for competitive brewers specifically? Yeah, well, if your listeners are aware, and I'm sure many of them are, the American Homebrewers Association that's been around since 1978 uh, puts on the National Homebrew um, Competition. And that competition has this year in 2023 will be its 45th year. And in regarding the competitive circuit, the NHC is directly tied to Circuit of America. Um, and what Matthew Harold and the team there is, is doing and engaged with. Uh, it's also the best chance to get exposure to two different groups of types of judges um, in the iteration of uh, what you would normally get with an AHA BJCP or beer judge certification program competition, you're getting BJCP judges. And that's absolutely front and center. Part of what we do at the NHC is it's really a partnership with the BJCP. Um, but at the final round level, you are getting judged Yes, by high-ranking BJCP judges, but in a similar fashion to how commercial beers would be judged. So that's kind of a new iteration to the NHC. And I think it's definitely a benefit in terms of you now with first rounds back, which is great. And we can talk about that. Um, get your BJCP score. We're going to have nine regional locations and you're going to be able to be judged in a fashion that um, if you've entered before, you're used to. But in that final round, you're getting judged as um, the Brewers Association would have judges judging a professional beer competition. So there's kind of that dual purpose. And if you're an AHA member, you are able to enter your national competition. So it's definitely, to me, one of the biggest benefits um, for the competitive spirit side. Was there anything that can be done by the uh, competition organizers for their own competitions to help encourage participation and membership in the AHA? Oh, I love it. In partnership with the Beer Judge Certification Program, one thing that's easy for competition organizers to do, frankly, to benefit the entrant um, with a, a little bit of a savings, to offer them a savings to the um, joining the American Homebrewers Association. And it also is a um, help to the BJCP 
is the Beer Judge Certification Program is a referral participant to membership in the American Homebrewers Association. So if competition organizers reference the BJCP's AHA um, membership program and, and that's used, then that member gets a $5 discount to join the AHA, $5 off, and then the BJCP gets $5 back for every member joined through their referral program. And we really want to see the BJCP, just like the AHA, um, survive and thrive. Uh, BJCP with 8,000 plus active judges, I've been one personally since the 90s at the certified judge level, is an amazing all-volunteer run and driven program. And so if conference organizers want that connection to supporting the national org, us, the AHA, and supporting their um, volunteer-driven uh, beer judge certification program, that's a no-brainer, is to encourage people to join the AHA through the BJCP.org referral link. Awesome. So you brought it up a little bit earlier, but there over the last couple of years have been a lot of new ways for competitive brewers across the U.S. to kind of come together via social media. Uh, organizations like the Master Homebrew Program, the Competitive Homebrewing page on Facebook is, I think, close to 1,500 uh, people on there now. They're just growing really, really fast. Uh, what are your thoughts on these kinds of things? And what can the AHA be doing uh, with those programs or with those kinds of groups kind of mutually beneficial on both sides? Well, I think a lot goes back to education and the AHA through homebrewersassociation.org has a lot of educational resources based on competitions, based on judging, based on entering competitions, and based on, frankly, brewing quality beer, right? We're one of the anchors and the hubs for all things homebrewing, um, and so much of our resources through Zymergy Magazine, our educational content through the website, uh, the HomebrewCon seminars, which those have a very extended shelf life year after year, we republish those. They're all geared towards helping people brew better beer. And so that's our piece in it. We continue to grow our body of work. Um, and my view on it is, hey, you know, I'm as competitive as the next uh, person. I haven't really joined the circuit, so to say, so to speak, but I get that, um, that it scratches the itch for really a lot of reward. Um, when you're doing, you're achieving the highest level at multiple competitions, and then that's all tied together to be recognized. I'm really impressed by that. And some of the, the names that I've come across and some of the homebrewers that I've had a chance to meet with just awe-inspire me um, to win best of show in multiple competitions. Like, how hard is that, right? Andy, you referenced that, you know, and, and, and you, you, you get it too, John. It, it's, a, it's a testament um, that type of program to, uh, to brewing excellence. Um, and it's also a testament to those brewers always wanting to strive for more. Awesome. Uh, we talk about this all the time with competitions, but like there's multiple reasons why people want to enter. You know, first and foremost, you hear a lot of people say they do it for feedback. Uh, we had Fritz Schantz on the, on the call last time, and he's one of the most prolific brewers I've ever seen. Uh, something like 50 competitions last year, 160 medals, just absolutely astronomical stuff. And he still comes back to, um, it's about getting score sheets. It's about getting good feedback that I can iterate my beers batch over batch, and I can be a more consistent, uh, more successful brewer. I I'm curious, from your perspective, um, what homebrew clubs can, can and should be doing to help cultivate that improvement versus uh, necessarily how competitions approach the feedback or how people use the feedback from competitions? Like where, where does that line of responsibility kind of get drawn? Yeah. And it is, there's a difference between getting score sheets from two or three different judges at a table 
um, and reading that input to actually often being in person with somebody, say at your homebrew club, who you've handed out that beer and said, give me honest feedback. Um, I'm all for both. Um, there's, you know, you all are familiar with the term seller blindness. Nobody's baby is ugly, but sometimes our baby, you know, is, 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 is challenged and we need to be told that we have blind spots. Um, that seller blindness is, is my beer tastes good no matter what, because my mind is creating that perception. So the third eye sharpened by no matter how you get that information is always very valuable, but you also have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, I'll riff on something and maybe uh, hopefully uh, bring it back to exactly answering in a nice tidy bullet, Andy. But, you know, sensory perception is personal. So too then is feedback. Um, my, I talk about the mind to palate connection. My palate factually perceives my ortho and retronasal passages, my soft palate and tongue, um, you know, my, my, my ability uh, to, with my palapier and taste buds to perceive as factual based on what I physically can do. Now it does vary individual to individual. Some people have injury um, and the like, but mentally that mind to palate connection that's where things get uh, a little gray and squishy. My version of apricot might be your version of peach, and I write peach and you write apricot. Great, we're in the same range, but that is, you know, that's a spectrum. That might be confusing to the uh, person looking for feedback. So I always say whether you're handing out your beer at your club, and I hope homebrew clubs are a safe space to give honest, critical feedback instead of pretending when something doesn't need to be addressed. Um, that you want to remove your bias, really check your conscious bias or unconscious bias from your mind to palate connection because your palate's factually perceiving and factually give the information to the individual who's soliciting it. That's one of the best ways that the club can be of service is training their members to not get that seller blindness for their own beers or for each other's. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, right? We, we say all the time that you know, you should take the the feedback on a score sheet kind of with a grain of salt, but also with thick skin, because from competition to competition, um, that feedback is going to be can be very different. Um, I always tend to to lean on the homebrew clubs as where we should take things, kind of iterate here and there. And then we take them to competitions to validate that our recipe really is there and to get it recognized higher up. So just kind of where I fall on that line. Yeah, and I'll add to that that one of the advantages to get back to the National Homebrew Competition and the, you know, I think the value of entering that is, is in addition to the potential for medal and, and the bragging rights, representation in the national competition is key. So all clubs throughout the country hopefully have entrance into the National Homebrew Competition, all walks of life throughout the country and world because you can enter, you know, inter- from the international um, space too are hopefully represented. And I think that's another important area when you talk about the value of entering competitions from the local level to all the way up to the national um, competition. It, it's really good to get more people brewing and more people comfortable to enter because then that means we're getting more diverse uh, variety of beers from different types of people, different walks of life. Um, and then the competition is more equitable. It's, it's, it's less skewed. That is a really, I think, big advantage. So if you're a club, you should be saying we want, you know, to get into the mix and enter NAC. It's a one-week window window right now. That's very important. If you're actually listening to this when it's launched on Tuesday, January 24th, 
the entry window closes um, on January 31st. So I would say rally the troops. If you've never entered a competition, go for it. This is a great one to really learn from. And uh, it's a quick window. So get your, get your keyboard typing and, and get to homebrewersassociation.org and you'll, you'll find out where to enter. Yeah. So you, you brought it up again. Uh, I've heard you speak on other platforms. I've heard you talk at the Wise Guys uh, Homebrew Club up in Loveland about diversity and inclusion in the homebrewing community or in the brewing community uh, at large. What advice would you give competition organizers or uh, homebrew club leadership to help promote that within their own competitions and clubs in general? It's a great one, Andy. And frankly, it organically comes up to me more than I bring it up. Um, but I think the answer, what is a value to entering competitions, it just is a good reason to share it. I think the advice is, A, you're volunteering more than likely. I, By the way, I've run, I ran Dread Hop um, from Hot Barley and the Ailers, a BJCP sanctioned competition um, in my early days with that club. And you're, you're volunteering your time. There's so much to do. You just want to remember to potentially not just market your entry to your, to your normal network of entries. I mean, it is good to remember local media might want to know a competition's going on, right? Call your local paper, email your local bloggers, let them know this is the window. We want anyone and everyone to consider entering. Here are the rules. And then also on websites. I mean, all walks of life want to identify with like kind, right? So what diversity are you showcasing on your website? What type of people would I see going to your website for your competition? Um, and you want to encourage, uh, you know, a, a diverse group to be engaged with your competition and your club. And it really is, um, Andy and John, one of the biggest things that, that is asked of me is how do we as a homebrew club diversify and uh, reach more audiences. I, I've been in the executive director role as the American Homebrewers Association ED now for a little over a year. And that is literally one of the top things that the clubs have been asking me. And so it is about diligence. It is about really trying to connect with audiences you might not normally connect with. Um, you can also mentor audiences you wouldn't connect with because maybe homebrewing is intimidating to them. So setting up a mentorship program setting up a, um, you know, a recruiting subcommittee within your club. And that subcommittee can kind of work offline to talk about how can we connect with more students in the area? That will bring us more diversity of age, right, of walks of life. How can we connect with um, different types of uh, living situations? You know, senior homes got, you know, gas, but they, I'm sure would love the chance to learn how to homebrew. So there's age diversity, there's, um, you know, gender diversity, uh, there's the marginalized populations um, and demographic piece. There's a lot to get at, but I love the fact that it's an intentional conversation that's coming up more to me than me bringing it up to others. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, on just club run competitions in general from your experience. What are some of the things that make a competition great that organizers can kind of incorporate or look at, whether it's a you know, a small, just a club only competition, or if a club's trying to do something on a bigger scale of, you know, 800, 1,000 entries across the country, what can they do to really make it great? Sure. And in my career, um, I've judged everything from Indiana Brewers Cup to Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines, National Homebrew Competition way before I was ever executive director, back to 2007. So I've, I've been around the block and, and judged in and entered a lot of competitions. I think what really helps one fire on all cylinders is organization, right? 
that often comes with multiple year history and, you know, succession plan of here's how we did it. Here's what we learned. Here's what we need to do next year. So a debrief after each competition is really good. Notes for the future officers are really good or whoever's going to run it. Beyond the organization piece, uh, there's always passion and energy there. Um, I think making sure that your judge pool has really good understanding that we are as judges, and you all will agree with this probably, but maybe put it in your own words, we're instruments for what we perceive. And our job, sitting down at the judge table, when somebody like me or you, John, or Andy, or any of our listeners has put their hard-earned money, their hard-earned time, time and dime, right? They shipped it, they brewed it, they thought about it. We are supposed to do a service to that. And so we need to be as detailed as possible in those notes. It's something we absolutely emphasize on the national homebrew competition level with judges. The more information you can share, not just on what you're perceiving, but to that entrance of how to improve the beer and why, frankly, if you're BJCP scoring and you start at 50, when I judge, I take away from 50. I don't build it up. So I'm actually often a little bit higher scorer than the other judges around me because I take it pretty seriously. If I'm going to ding them and take any points away, I have to say why. And not just why, but how to improve it next time. And so really getting your judges, I think, grounded on that is important. I've been to some competitions where we're at happy hours, drinking beers right before the competition and this and that. I want my judges, if I'm running the top-notch competition as fresh as possible, so really setting a standard for your judges to be as detailed as possible, as fresh as possible, and constructive as possible on how to improve, um, and running an organized competition with notes for each year on learnings and what to do in, in future years. Oh, that's all great information. Yes, um, definitely appreciate that feedback. I also wanted to bring up something that's sort of near and dear to my heart. I've had a lot of issues. You know, local homebrew shops are pretty much the backbone of the local brewing communities. We've seen a, a bad trend lately with the economy uh, of shops closing and, and falling on hard times. Uh, and that does, that impacts the local clubs and local brewers significantly. So is there anything that, that you can think of from the just the homebrew community in general or through the AHA that can do more to support local homebrew shops? I love that you're bringing it up. It's one that I'm highly aware of. Um, clubs and shops are a big um, interest of mine to learn from and make sure that we can grow homebrewing because then in return, that helps both of those groups. On the American Homebrewers Association website, homebrewersassociation.org, we currently have about 600 plus supply shops. And it's a great list. Any, it's the most robust list anywhere. You can go to that list, look it up by state. Um, some supply shops uh, haven't updated us. So if there's a record that's old, it's based on them giving us that information. But I've talked to, uh, you know, very uh, concerted effort, many, many retailers in the last year. And um, it's hard times for them. They had a boon, many of them, from COVID when breweries closed. Business went up. But then it dropped when the breweries went back open, and I'm definitely generalizing on what I've been told, kind of aggregating the input. So that's super concerning because especially if you take into the account that before COVID, the supply shops were already having a hard time. On the AHA side, um, we don't survey every year, but we have surveyed many years the retailers, so we know the data was showing us that their sales were already cooling pre-COVID. It's a challenge with succession, meaning some of the more mature owners of supply shops 
uh, have either stepped out or um, haven't kept with potential um, opportunities. You've got the challenge of online um, ordering. And frankly, one of the biggest uh, homebrew suppliers are kind of dropship Amazon uh, businesses, right? Where you can't pick up the phone to that business and say, hey, I use this piece of equipment or ingredients that I bought you and I need your advice. It's that's that's not what's happening. But you can do that when you go to any of these 600 um, in the U.S. at least local supply shops. So, John, it's a really important question in 2023 with some grounding work in 2022 on the AHA side. We resurrected some of what the governing committee had done and staff had done in previous years. So we now have simmering an industry working group. That industry working group is front and center going to be organizing at HomebrewCon in June in San Diego, California, um, an industry coalition meeting. This industry coalition meeting will be the start of many, many discussions. National organizations are invited. Uh, If you get your business from, in some form, homebrewing, you're invited. Uh, And, you know, the parties and the players in the marketplace side of homebrewing are invited to that coalition meeting. And I'm interested to see in bringing them together, A, if they can help me understand what, you know, the the obvious trends of challenges are, and B, how can the group work together? It's not about what one national org or one, you know, individual business can do. It's about how the collective, right, that coalition can work together to get at growing homebrewing. And part of what I think I see in homebrewing is some stigma um, is some, uh, 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 you know, ways that are very ritualistic and traditional. And homebrewing, to me, is a hobby that's fun. Let's keep the fun in it. Let's invite people into it. Let's show them how easy it can be and inexpensive. And then when they grow, you know, to be more advanced in it, let's show them how great and expensive it might be if you want to go further, just like skiing, right? When I start out skiing, super hard, scared to go downhill. Oh, my gosh, renting all the stuff, the lift ticket. But I had to ski 10 times to realize how much I loved that sport. And so I think homebrewing sometimes suffers from some of that. Um, and then also some industry standards on storage of ingredients. You know, extract has quality challenges sometimes. So we need some standards from the, uh, I think, the, the industry itself. And that's not on the AHA. We work for the individual home hobbyist member. That's you all. That's who, you know, we are. The businesses um, together can form their own group, and I'm hoping it is this coalition for future work. Um, And I know that's a very long-winded answer, John, but there's work going on to really start to get at that because, yes, I'm truly deeply concerned about the retailers, and they're not as engaged um, as they used to be. They're harder to reach, and and many of them, frankly, are are starting to indicate that they are going to close. I, that's a great answer. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they don't know what is going on behind the scenes on things. And so it's, it's just great information to know that, that people do care and that there is efforts going on behind the scenes to, to try to help and provide resources where possible. So we definitely appreciate thousand percent. that. Yeah. And it's a little peek under the hood. Anytime I get a chance to talk to anyone that's interested in their national organization, the AHA, I will say you don't even have to be a member, although less than 50 bucks a year, I think a total deal um, and pays for itself back and then fold. But you can get our free What's Brewing newsletter every other week. Just go to homebrewersassociation.org, sign up for the newsletter. You can scan it. That's where this information is shared, right? I have been sharing um, in my columns in Zymergy that we also republish on homebrewersassociation.org some of these updates. So it's really good if people are interested in that kind of uh, behind the scenes info, 
it's there and available for you as we publish it. Um, you just got to go to the resources themselves. So you brought up, you know, the, the fun side of homebrewing, the recruitment side of it. To me, the one of the big highlights that we always had pre-COVID in the Houston area before I relocated here to Northern Colorado uh, was the AHA rally. Is there any news on that front? Are we going to start seeing them come back? And for the people that are out there, if there isn't one in their community, how could they go about organizing one? Because they they were a ton of fun. And as a club, we typically saw a lot of people get interested in what we could do and we'd get you know some more foot traffic by the booths and stuff. Yeah, as a member, I went to some great AHA rallies. And for those listening that aren't familiar with that, um, pre-2019, we had a program called AHA rallies where we had a, a number of them each year, couldn't do them exponentially, um, that would gather AHA members, a special invited event at a local host, usually brewery, sometimes a homebrew shop. And uh, homebrewers would do things like, you know, get to barrel age their beer at Denver Beer Co. one year uh, we went to and, and the like. And the brewer would really kind of pull out all the court press because when you gather a bunch of AHA members, you better friggin' impress us or you're in trouble, right? <laughs> so with that, um, you know, the AHA is, is where it's at today. We're in definitely um, 2023 here forward mode. I'm honored to be a dedicated staffer. Um, uh, helping lead the charge, uh, but some of our programs uh, just have evolved onto a simmering level on the shelf, and they are not um, being executed in a day-to-day fashion. That doesn't mean that the rallies can't be done. People have contacted us. People have hosted their own rallies, and certainly there's a model where several bullets, we can tell that brewery or homebrew shop where the resources are, and they can literally host their own AHA rally, inviting AHA members in their region, fully possible. It's just not something that we have in our plan in 2023 to be devoted to um, hosting our own at this time. That's fair. So I do want to take a chance and, you know, switch gears a little bit today being the day that the NHC actually opens up for registration one, uh, one week window. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times already, but there are some changes on the organizational judging structure this year, uh, kind of going back to what it was pre-COVID. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the decision to go back to the first round? I, I haven't found anybody on the competitive side that was upset about that in any way, shape, or form. So I'm, I'm curious to hear from you on that. Right. Well, A, give the people what they want. And the uh, Brewers Association, that is the parent organization to the AHA, we did what we could during COVID. And we still pulled off national homebrew competition. I mean, in COVID at this point is what, three, 2020, so we're three years in. But what we didn't do, especially last year, it was apparent that that was, um, people were, had the appetite for it to be back, was the first round entry process. So when you have a national competition that's five, seven, 8,000 entries strong, first round entries, A, is a really incredible connection to the local communities that then judge those beers and they forward on um, the top three from each NHC table. And then that goes to second final round that will this year be judged at the, at HomebrewCon, the national conference, June in San Diego. That's 2023, a get back to how it used to be. Super, super excited. So that is new. As part of that bringing back first round process, it's exciting to share that we will also now be going back to using the Beer Judge Certification Program score sheet. So that's another really big benefit. It's also when we judged all 
the entries in Pittsburgh. We were in 2022 for NHC and HomebrewCon in Pittsburgh. We judged all of those on site in a three-day period, first round, Jeez. second round, final round, and then everyone did the conference. Talk about an incredible lift from our volunteer leaders. Talk, talk about an incredible lift from BA and AHA staff. It was, I mean, we did it, right? But it was a long week and it just, we, we all knew it, it wasn't where we wanted to be. And it took us two years to get back to bringing back that, um, that first round entry process. So super excited. That will include, as I said, the BJCP score sheet. Final second round is judged, as I said, like you are a um, going to see the same score sheets at Great American Beer Festival. They actually don't have numbers. They're judge comment sheets. They're much more sensory based. And again, sensory has its, its rewards. And um, I think those sheets really give us an opportunity in a different way than what others might be used to in the first round BJCP way to look at the feedback and receive feedback in an even more layered way that can just only further help us. It just doesn't have the scores. So lots of little changes from there, um, kind of cascade um, because of first round back. So it'll be less bottles. First round entrance will uh, only be asked for two bottles. That's fantastic. If you make it to second round, final round, then you send more bottles. Um, but so that's also a lower list on certain people. Um, when you enter, you will be choosing of nine first round locations. The, the map will be there at the website, um, homebrewersassociation.org forward slash NHC. And you'll, you'll get first, uh, uh, first, and first filled, right, um, first served. So you want to enter quickly if you really want your beer in a first-round basis judged that you're chosen of the nine first-round locations. Otherwise, it would be reassigned. Each first-round location will be about 750 entries. We can't do them all at one, obviously, so... That will um, be part of the puzzle, but those that enter first will um, have a better chance in line to get to their chosen first round location site. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to coordinate getting all those entries to Pittsburgh to do all the judging and that ridiculous sigh of relief that had to be at the end of the final best of show flight. And you're like, okay, we're finally done. Maybe now we can actually start to enjoy ourselves at the conference. That's, that's a huge lift. I mean, I know all the competitors really appreciate all the work that went into to making that a possibility, but selfishly, I'm super excited to see it come back to the, the first round model. It was always a lot of fun. I will agree. Um, Chris Williams, our amazing competition director, um, and Sandy Cockerham with other volunteer leaders from the BJCP side and governing committee side of the AHA, they've been putting in a lot of time. We really want you, if you're listening to this, to give us your entry, to give you then the reward and the feedback that you deserve. We hope you're in this competition this year. This is the one, this is the big one to showcase and get as many walks of life, as many clubs, as many areas of the country and the world represented. And I'm excited. We know this model, uh, but we're coming back to it in a new way. And uh, I'm, I just, I could not be more excited. I'll be at several of the first round location sites judging personally. Can't get to every area in the country, um, but those will happen in, in March and April. So the timeline starts here in January. You just have to enter. You don't even have to brew the beers yet. Um, you can make changes up until February 10th. Then you want to get to a process where you're ready to actually physically get your beer shipped in March. And, uh, and then the competition is off from there. Well, I was going to ask about the, uh, the first round judging uh, with the multiple locations. 
And I, I'm going to let my uh, geographical bias show a little bit, but uh, there's, there's sort of a lack of representation in the South and particularly Texas. But I was just curious what kind of goes into making those decisions on the regional sites. Is it, you know, pure, purely based on judge availability or are there any other factors that go into that? And this is where in the trenches, it's a little hard to represent, but many conversations over many months with, frankly, a volunteer group of volunteer leaders on the competition working groups evaluated who would be able to deliver by when and where and how it would help us have as much as possible geographic diversity. You have to remember this is an every year event, minus the interruptions from COVID. And every year, the first round locations are not the same. So I would love to see more representation in different nooks and crannies of the U.S. Give us a chance, you know, and, and help watch the competition hopefully grow as long as we get the entries we need. And then there's a lot to runway to continue to grab and um, use and leverage and, and um, get the support from local regions that really still want to step up and um, host a first round competition. It's not a one and done. Um, and that's, that's my answer to that. I think it's, it's, a, it's a geographic puzzle for sure. Well, I'll go ahead and also ask about, you know, this is more of a silly fun type question, but uh, there's been a lot of some surveys in recent years about what drives people to enter a competition. And it seems like the number one thing is the awards themselves, the hardware that they're going to get. So what can you tell us about this year's medals? Because I, I absolutely loved the look of last year's. And I was curious if y'all are doing something similar, or if you got something new planned for us this year. Um, well, you're asking things that uh, we don't have in the public space, uh, but the, the, the format, at least in previous years, and I love that you're hearing, you love the look of the medals, you, you get ribbon on the, on the first level, first round, right? I had that when my husband and I entered Old Ale when I didn't work at the Brewers Association. We made it through first round, got the second round. I, I got silver in Old Ale. Talk about it, an incredible category. And I was so proud of not just the medal that I received from final round NHC, National Homebrew Competition, but the ribbon really meant a lot to me from the first round. So that's the similar format. Stay tuned to what we have. And John, I'm glad that you were pleased with um, the hardware and the bling bling from last year. I just wish I had got one. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Got it. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear the ribbons are coming back too. Uh, I mean, just making making it to finals is a big deal, and not everybody has the opportunity to get one of those up on the up on the trophy shelf. So, super excited to hear that those are back. I mean, looking back on it from last year, there were some low entry count categories, uh, specifically in the mead space. This year's categories uh, kind of reflect those adjustments that I assume are based on the information from last year. Are the category selections set in stone prior to registration or are there considerations later on of either combining or breaking out categories based on the entries that you're seeing? Basically, they should be very set. This is where competition director Chris Williams is the final say. Incredible asset to the whole homebrewing community is him leading this competition. But you're right. I mean, it, the, the puzzle right now, and if you go to the website to enter, you're going to see 40 you know, categories, basically groups that you would um, choose from. So those are set for the entry window. You're asking if things would change. Um, my saying is that the puzzle is so complex and you, know, you don't turn a ship quickly or it can start to sink. So what you see is what you get mostly. But I would say if you have feedback throughout the process, look, we're a member-driven organization. We want to hear your input. We want to hear what you have to say. And so to do that, enter, 
make notes, tell us what you love, tell us what you think we can do. We're never going to do it all for every single one, but we will, uh, we will listen readily. And, and this year is, is I think, um, just taking into account some of the numbers from last year, especially on the mead side that you got at. Um, I believe it's eight categories for mead now went down to five because of the, um, the entry count. Some would argue philosophically never have a cap, but this is the complexity of an advanced competition with many rounds. So in, in this case, um, entry numbers matter, um, but five categories for mead is amazing. I'm a big y'all mead fan. I had a website called honeywine.com back in the day. Um, I helped run and create the international mead competition. I uh, also medaled gold medal at Mazer Cup one year for traditional dry. So I'm really into mead. I'm a big fan. I also want to see cider get representation. Cider is coming on strong. Um, it's fascinating. I feel like the mead, um, you know, the need for mead is really strong in the circles that I travel in. And, and cider kind of orbits and, and dips its toe into the homebrew water, but they, um, the cider tends to be not as strong. And I'm, I'm rooting for both of those beverage categories as well. Well, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because I, I was going to ask you about the uh, the entry caps for individuals because I see it's uh, four per person. I was curious about the importance of that and and kind of spreading out the the medals because uh, we do see that some competitions that may be uncapped. You kind of get a perception that maybe someone's trying to buy medals by flooding the entry counts. And so, uh, what were your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, well, our philosophy is, especially as a national org, let as many people enter as possible. So four or five entries per entrant, that's a good number, right? It's not a total cap. So I think that allows us to have the ability to have more people and keep it a little more equitable. I'm not going to ding any form of competition approach that's different than that. But I think that's a fair number to start with. After the entry window, um, in uh, when January 31st is over, we will assess. And then there is the ability to actually open up that cap if uh, if the puzzle of the numbers showcase that there's the um, space for that. So that is a number that could float. But for now, that's the starting number when you do enter January 24th through January 31st. Well, very cool. So last question that I, that I had for the brewers that are kind of on the fence about entering NHC or registering for it, what could you tell them like right now, you know, this launches very early the morning that registration opens up. Uh, why should they drop everything right now and go register for NHC? Because it's the world's longest standing, most established homebrew competition. And in many ways, the competitive level of being able to say that you entered, scored a certain level at NHC or bagged a medal is truly a triumph and, um, and a, a nice notch on your belt. It's about being a part of the community also, too, because there's been so many changes with this competition. You know, if you haven't entered it, then ha your, your feedback of what you would want to see evolve is a little harder to um, probably uh, be able to sell. So I would say enter, tell us what you love, tell us what you want to see more of, and then you at least have skin in the game as one of the participants who really has, their, has your lens to it because you actually participated. It's also the judge pool, by the way. Nobody else gathers this judge pool. Nobody. Nobody else gathers this many BJCP judges on the first round level, and nobody else gathers, gathers this many BJCP judges at the highest ranked level for second and final round. You can't get judged in a competition um, in the same way than this because of the 
prolific, robust judge pool that we put together. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Best of Show podcast. Thank you so much for your role in supporting the homebrew community as well. So best of luck to you guys on a successful NHC, and we're definitely looking forward to spotlighting the winners from HomebrewCon in a future episode. I thank you, John and Andy. Thanks to your listeners. You've got such a great show. You really um, have a niche, and you've got such a following. You all get it. Um, I didn't get to talk about any of your beers this time, but I, I know about them from the show. Um, and next time we talk, I can talk to you about what I've been brewing and, and how that's been going. To me, entering competitions is such a valuable asset to being a home brewer. And I just always love to learn from others on their tips and tricks. Uh, so I look forward to talking again one day, too. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode of the Best of Show podcast. Please give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and click the subscribe button if you'd like to be updated on future content. Until next time, cheers, y'all. This is one last night.